This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, my name is Brian Lee O'Malley. I'm created Scott Pilgrim, and you are watching Geekscape. Hey, Geekscapists, we're here at the West Hollywood Book Fair on a sunny Sunday afternoon in the uh, Comic Bug Tent. We're here with Mike McNulla, creator of Hellboy, among other things like Amazing Screw on Head. Have you had a good time here at the bookstore? At the book fair? I have. And how was the signing? You, you just did a big signing. Uh, anybody ask you any? Small signing. <laughs> Small signing. But, but it was a very nice signing. And uh, what, what's the thing that people most frequently ask you to sign? Hellboy. Any, any like, big Hellboy tome? Like, you guys got, you've got these big hardbound uh, volumes. Why don't you look, take a look at that, Brian? And Brian. That way. <laughs> All right. There you go. That's a new one. Take a look at that. Yeah, I sign a, a, a fair number of those, uh, and it's it's you know now there's, there's three of them, so it's just it's it's horrifying to watch somebody try to lug three of those things. So they they each weigh like you know about this you know as much as a house. Uh, so seeing people try to wrestle three of them up to the table, I always feel obligated to spend some time and talk to them if they've been lugging those things around. But I, it, you know, it's always something different. What's the weirdest thing you've had people come bring you for a signing? I don't nothing nothing that springs to mind. You know, it's 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 very funny that like today for some reason I had several people bring up copies of um, a Dracula comic I had done a zillion years ago. So you kind of wonder what is it about this show or this day or this time of year that makes people dig that thing out? Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing nothing really insanely freakish i mean the 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 thing that's still strange to me is i sign dvd covers and movie posters and stuff like that stuff that i kind of almost forget i had anything to do with so you don't realize how much the you know the hellway stuff has expanded until you do a signing and people have all these different objects there's starting to be more things like um action figures and things like that that i'm not aware of there was merchandise on the second Hellboy picture that I've never seen. So sometimes people ask me to sign stuff, and it's like, hey, I don't have one of these. So that's weird. Now, when you started Hellboy, it was it was just you in the first uh, storyline. But as you've gone on, and, and you're now in your second decade or, or so of Hellboy, you're starting to work with other people like John Arcudi, Guy Davis. Uh, you've got uh, all these different people starting to tell some of the Hellboy and BPRD stories with you. Uh, do you see that as expanding even further, much like the ancillary merchandising that's been going on with the films? Um, 
there's a little bit more expansion planned. Um, I, d I never want to expand so much that I don't know what's going on. Uh, everything that comes out is either written by me or at least co-plotted by me. So I, I would hate to ever have things get big enough that I, I, you know, the books went by and I went, oh look, what's that? I've never seen that. Um, I, you know, John Arcudi and I have worked together for a long time, so I trust John to, to handle the material. Um, it's, but it's still my baby, so I, I'm very selective about who I work with, and I, I try to be as hands-on as I can. And I think it shows because even the, like, like the 1940s books are, are phenomenal. Uh, and they definitely still have your feel. And, and even when you have somebody else doing the artwork on the actual Hellboy title, it still has that feel of your pacing. But I, I'm really enjoying this last uh, miniseries that, that hasn't had your artwork on it. Are you doing the uh, layouts, or are you doing any part of the artwork, or are you just leaving, up, leaving it up to the other artists? With this new BPRD, I, I had a hand in... in well, the plot was largely mine. Uh, I worked with Josh Dicehart on it, <clears throat> but I gave him a pretty detailed breakdown for how that story would flow, and I, you know, I had a hand in picking those artists. So, and, and even you know, I think on the last issue, there's a little bit of design work that I did on it, but I never do. You know, I rarely do actual thumbnails for people. Um, but if you look at the sketchbook sections for all the different books, um, for the Hellboy books, for the BPRD books, you'll usually see some drawing by me. So I, I do have a hand. I do work pretty closely with all the artists, which I'm sure makes me a real pain in the ass some days. But I, I try to be involved. So much of this stuff I, I thought up, and it's easier for me to do a drawing for some, you know, of certain things than it is to try to explain to them what I'm looking for. And right now, the BPRD are kind of flying Hellboy list. Meanwhile, you've got Hellboy uh, in, in, in England and Europe doing his own storyline. Is there any plans now to bring them back together and, and streamline it back into Hellboy in the BPRD? Is that something fans can look forward to? That would be telling. <laughs> but let's just say that in the next year, uh, especially with the BPRD miniseries, King of Fear, which is the next one coming up, and even with some of the things that are going on in Hellboy, you, uh, readers are going to see a dramatic change coming. In the next year, it's a lot of stuff in this next year and the year beyond that even more. So uh, some gigantic changes are, are happening. What I like is that the entire book BPRD is gigantic. You guys are destroying cities. There's entire underworlds that are coming and flipping over buildings. You've got, I mean, that's that's just a building. That's just a story that gets so big, and there's huge monsters. I love seeing Guy Davis draw those things. It's getting bigger. Uh, one of the things I said to John at the very beginning, and and we have this conversation more and more, is the Hellboy universe is not never needs to get back to normal. So when we start to break stuff, let's keep breaking stuff and, and, and let it stay broken. So, um, yeah, again, there are giant changes coming. And that even includes characters like Liz. You know, she's gone through some changes where she's almost catatonic. You know, and, and, and she's trying to figure out who she is. You, you've got Abe trying to find out who he really is. And as they get these answers, you're right, these characters are, are done for good. It's nice reading a book for once that has super, uh, these spectacular things that aren't stuck in a second act. Yeah, I mean, there, there is no um, 
intention in the Hellbay world to get things back to normal. Um, we, you know, John and I have a really interesting way to, of working together because I'll say I want these things to happen. I, I kind of give him broad strokes for how certain things should evolve, and then John kind of has to deal, you know, has to write what this does to the characters. Um, and you do certain things to these characters, and they're never going to be the character they, they were. And, and I'm doing the same thing with Hellboy. There are things that are being done with Hellboy now that once you've turned that corner, you can never really turn it back. One thing that I, fortunately, that I can do with both Hellboy and BPRD, both Hellboy's been around since 1944. BPRD's been around since... 45, 46. So there are a lot of stories set in the past that we haven't done. So I can do classic Hellboy. I can have, you know, Hellboy when his life was a lot less complicated. I can do those stories and continue to do those stories, but they're set in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, whereas the Hellboy that I'm writing now, um, that's, that's a much different character and he will continue to be a much different character so these are your babies growing up outside of the hellboy universe are there any babies you're going to introduce to us anytime soon um not well yeah yes yeah kind of i mean i i co-wrote a novel two years ago with chris golden called baltimore or the steadfast tin soldier and the vampire Um, so that's an, one of my babies. It was supposed to be a comic, but I ended up doing it as a, as a novel. We're actually going to be doing a comic, uh, filling in some of the blanks in that book. So, so there's going to be a comic of that character. Um, and Chris and I are doing a couple more novels in the next year or so. So I'm introducing some new characters that way, but in comics... I'm, I'm going to be doing some more stories to round out an Amazing Screw on Head collection next year. Um, but most of my contribution will be within that Hellboy world. Well, we're all looking forward to all of it, Mike. Thank you so much for talking to us here on Geekscape. My pleasure. Right. Thank you. Thank you. We're here with Josh Dysart. He's a uh, writer. You guys may recognize him from Unknown Soldier. He's also doing uh, Swamp Thing. But uh, if you're a big fan of BPRD like me, You've got 1947 and 1946 that he's written. Uh, I'm a big fan of talking Russian dolls, as well as uh, monkey, you know, what would you, those little monkey guys in the castle in 1947? Oh, yeah, yeah. Little servants. Yeah, they're just, they're just pitiful, tired, weary men. And uh, you're writing some dark stuff in that book, but Unknown Soldier is sort of like a, uh, like a personality complex gone bad. It's a little bit of deja vu, previous lives, alternate lives type of thing. With this, where kind of a politically minded, uh, moral individual starts to have flashes of almost an alternate version of himself, where he starts to have these flashes. How would you describe this personality disorder that's happening in Unknown Soldiers? In, how, how do you, um, what motivated you? Was it the politics of doing a book like that? Yeah, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, when I, you know, um, not being uh, pro-war, right. 
I um I knew that when I wrote a war book, I was going to have to find an angle for the character. Uh, and I have always invested a lot of myself into my protagonists. It's the only no way I know how to write. So bringing him, uh, dealing with my own struggle with pacifism and as a pacifist, uh, and, and, and having also this very violent nature that expresses itself in my art, in my writing, um, I, I just, it was a natural way to take the character, to, to drag him from pacifism into a very morally complex place where, where decisions uh, that he makes are not black and white, and then, and then he be, he makes the wrong decisions. He, it, it's almost like a Bruce Wayne who doesn't want to be Batman. Right, it's, right. It's, it's somebody who socially is well-respected and can, can do a lot of groundwork on his own, but when he does hit those walls, the, the personality starts to cave in. And, and is that something that you face with every day as a pacifist where you're like, you know what, I would like to just throw a brick through that guy's window. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't even identify myself as a pacifist because I have that, that, that struggle and that challenge. So absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the, the roots of violence and why we treat each other the way we do when we treat each other cruelly is something that's fascinating to me. As a species, you know, we have such range from absolute compassion to complete and utter vile behavior. And uh, hopefully, if we're doing our job right with the book, you know, we're actually exploring that full range of humanity. You know, the NGOs who are there assisting and also uh, the rebel leaders who are using religion to, to, you know, to morally turn these children's worlds upside down, turn them into child soldiers. I should mention this point takes place in East Africa uh, in the and deals with child soldiers in northern Uganda. So, um, so yeah, if I can capture that full range, then I can really do something I've kind of been trying to do to various degrees of success, mostly unsuccessfully, my whole career, which is explore the roots of violence, you know, which is a, a pretty big subject to, to fuck with. Tackle, sorry. No, you can tell. You, you, you can say, yes, express yourself to, to your fullest. Um, now, Swamp Thing, usually uh, we, we know it as a bit of an environmental book, a bit of a psychological book. How are you going about tackling Swamp Thing? Because it seems like when it comes to Swamp Thing, there's Alan Moore and then there's the other guys. How, how intimidating is that? Well, I am one of the other guys. Right. Uh, you know, well, first of all, let me just state that I, I finished my Swamp Thing run like mm -hmm. three or four years ago. Right. So, <laughs> so it's not a current thing. But... It was a huge stepping stone in my career. Um, as far as the question goes, it, yeah, no, total paralysis. You sit there at your desk, and you sit down to write Swamp Thing, and you just think, what What the fuck am I doing? This is ridiculous. I shouldn't do this. I never would have pitched the book on my own. I'm, we speak of sacred things when we speak of Swamp Thing. And I... Uh, it was terrifying. I, I operated and created from a place of complete and utter fear and doubt the, the whole two years I wrote it. But did any of that make itself into the book? Because yeah. there are those horror elements of Swamp Thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 100%. Swamp Thing, uh, my Swamp Thing experienced an extreme existential dilemma about who he was and why he was doing it. <laughs> and it's because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, do you like bridging that gap of psychological horror? But where, where I mean, there's that physical, like in BPRD, yeah. you've got... Literally, uh, the, 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 the spirit world and the physical world yeah. butting heads, and th there's all sorts of, uh, of uh, things that happen where, you know, somebody drifting through a ghost world will have a, a castle collapse only to find that in the real world, right. yes, it will kill them. Yeah. And then you've got the unknown soldier where somebody can blank out for a moment, complete, uh, you know, commit complete acts of violence and then realize, oh my God, this is hor horrific what I've done. Is that just something that, that is a theme in, in your work or uh, beyond just the, the, the bouts of violence? Uh, is the psychological something that you try and 
wrap your head around when you're writing? Is that what gets you keeps you interested in yeah, this? Yeah, th that's precisely right. I mean, I don't think horror, for me, horror is not successful unless it's about the psychological aspects and its impact on the character. So, so that's something I'm definitely interested in. Um, as far as a theme goes, uh, you know, you don't never discover the themes in your own work until you've executed the work, and you look back over a body of work and you realize, wow, I'm really obsessed with this one thing, you know. Um, but yes, I, I think that I think that being lost, I think that being af afraid, I think that being um, uh, particularly of yourself and of your own actions is something I'm really interested in. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it into the work again and again and again. Yeah, totally. Now, William, you found a book of, of Josh's. Where, where is this? Go grab this book. And, and it deals with fear. It deals with psycholo uh, psychology and uh, deep-rooted character. Oh, no, we're we're going to bust your balls around this one. Okay. William, run over here. You know, Take a look at this. Take a look at this. Now, this is going to scare the hell out of you, Geekscapists. This is Avril Lavigne's right. Make Five Wishes. Now, when you make five wishes, you are dealing with a supernatural spirit world and what fears in the unknown that and what is you more make scary I mean an Avril Lavigne this this is this is hand in hand with the stuff that you've been wrestling actually, with your entire career you know what I'm gonna be really honest with you I, I'm embarrassed about this book on a couple levels but I'm actually pretty proud of it on some other ones I think it's very well written it's one of the most successful you're absolutely right it's one of the most successful integrations of my themes uh, and it's an all-ages book which is really trippy to be able to write all-ages horror I love that um, you know on the other end of the spectrum yeah, I got paid by Avril Lavigne to write this book, you know. And what are you going to do? Would it be more awesome if it was about Iggy Pop earlier in his career? Yes. If it's well, Iggy Pop's Make Five Wishes? It says created by you. It says created by you and Camilla. Yeah. Let's take a look. It's created by Camilla De Erica and myself, the artist. Now, now, what was that like getting hired by Avril to, to, to do her uh, comic representation? You know, uh, I actually uh, said no the f immediately. Why? Said no. Why would you say no? You, you got a mortgage to pay. You got <laughs> oh, that's rent right. to pay. That's right. Man's got to eat. But here's, but you know, I was doing okay at the time. Not great. And this book definitely. I mean, we definitely made some money off doing the book. Absolutely. I paid 11 years of back taxes. Avril Lavigne paid 11 years of back taxes. But um. But, you know, Camilla was a friend of mine, the artist, and she was already involved in it, and she had, you know, we... Josh, I'm going to kill myself. You need to come help me, please. Please. She calls me, and she, she leaves me these text messages. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. I need you. I need you. Come, yeah. please. That was exactly how it went down. Like your collaborative that process? It. That was it. it. Yeah, that was it. No, no, no. I, I just really wanted to work with her. And also... Um, the people that put it together, uh, Sandy Grassino from House of Parlance and everything, I was just, it was a team I really wanted to work with. And I gotta be honest, I really actually am pretty proud of it. And you know, Comics Journal, can I just say, Comics Journal said, um, it's the finest silk purse from a Salzier they've ever seen. All right. You cannot, you cannot get a better review for a book about Avril Lavigne. So, guys. Here we go. We started out with a joke, and I think we just ended up with an endorsement. <laughs> so you guys, go out there and buy this. This is Avril Lavigne's Make volumes. Five Wishes. If you must. There's two volumes of this baby, and, I, and we expect you guys to fully cooperate and get, and get these things. Go into your comic book store and ask. Ask for it. That's right. Do it. Do it. That stone golemed mutant that sits behind the counter at your comic book store. Ask him for this. All right? He's going to go... You should be reading Blackest Night. It's excellent. Tell him fuck Blackest Night. We want this. All right? Let's turn the comic industry on its head. That's right. You know? That's right. No, I mean, come on. Guess what? Alan Moore didn't write this 20 years ago. <laughs> no, but Alan Moore did some shit to pay the bills, too, <laughs> let me just state. No, but also, you know, look, I'm just going to give you a vibe on it. I mean, at the end, the protagonist, who's a 13-year-old girl, drowns herself. So, I mean, come on. It's kind of interesting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's all I got to say on that all matter. Right. 
Josh, thank you. You have been a good guest here on Geekscape. Thank you, thank thank you, you so you much. Are you enjoying the fest? I, I am. I've had a blast. I'm done with all my responsibilities. I did two panels. I got to interview Brian Lee O'Malley, who does Scott Pilgrim, who I think is a great modern genius. So I had a blast. Well, we're, we're fans of your work as well. Thank so, you, baby. Dude, thank, thank you. you. Continue to keep writing those great, funny books. Um, hopefully we'll see you again on Geekscape. You're local. So yeah, that's, that's right. Now have me in anytime. I'm down. Cool, man. Thanks. Cool. So Geekscape is walking around places like the West Hollywood Book Fair. You run into all sorts of people who are also selling uh, the books that they've written. This is Dr. John Brandenburg. He's a physicist. Am I correct? That's right. Doctor, and um, you've actually written a uh, book that you're selling here under a pen name. Right. Why don't you tell us a bit about this book? Uh, okay, I've written actually uh, this is the novel there we go. Um, asteroid 2020 20-2012 Sepulveda and it's about a uh, Mexican-American woman who's an astronomer and she discovers an asteroid by accident and names it after her family and then goes off to a marriage of her cousin in old Mexico and the Air Force discovers it's gonna hit the earth in a year so she gets sucked into a big deep black program to try and stop the asteroid and I tried to make this as technically accurate as possible as to what would really happen in the government in, uh, in as far as space technology uh, if we had to stop an asteroid with short warning time like one year. So it's not Armageddon and it's not uh, like a Tom so Clancy not, novel. Not, no, no. Well it is a little I would say I'm an admirer of Tom Clancy so it's Clancy-esque, that's for sure, and of course it's a soap opera. And uh, there's romance in there. Oh, there's a little, little bit of steaminess absolutely. in there. Oh, Some sex. Absolutely, sex, sex, lies, doomsday. <laughs> is that, is that, was that what you were saying? That's I think that's what what's, what says it. It says above us here at the booth is sex, lies, and doomsday. Sex you are a salesman, sir. Said, yeah, it's very descriptive, John. <laughs> So uh, it's well, it's a it's a tale about human beings under uh, great duress. And um, one thing that happens is the government doesn't tell the public what's going on. And, uh, but as news spreads among the governments themselves, the governments begin to panic. And crazy things, as one person says, it's as if somebody has added LSD to the world's water supply. And uh, so uh, it, it, it explores the craziness that is inherent in the human race and um, also the you know, my my family is part Mexican. I'm proud to say, and I explore mine too, sir. Mine too. I, I explore my brother. The angst, the angst of uh, of being a Mexican American, having you know, she, she goes back to old Mexico and sees her family. Her family's rich back there, and and they say you're a gringo. You're not really Mexican anymore. And she says, <laughs> she says, well, she's very upset to hear this, and uh, so she she has that feeling of being part of two lands and part of two cultures, and. Um, she uh, she's sucked into a a deep black government program and uh, is helping and then they find out she went to Berkeley <laughs> but she got involved in radical politics so she has to uh, she gets in a big jam is it a bit autobiographical at that point as well oh, no no it's a, well it's I my uh, my uncle was a professor at Berkeley okay. And he worked on the uh, nuclear bomb uh, during uh, World War II and the Manhattan Project. So uh, it kind of runs in my family, but part of my family is uh, is Mexican American. I, after drinking a lot of beer with him, I I, I understand. It's <laughs> all coming out here. A little, <laughs> you, sir. A little bit of their 
of of the angst. And I discovered, well, if you have a character who's Mexican American, they automatically have angst. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> now, now, have you ever been described? I, I get this description. My mother's Mexican. My father's uh, born in Texas. Uh, I, I'm basically the Mexican Urkel. And now, I, I mean, look, looking at me, you wouldn't think that there's a whole lot of Mexican in me, would you, sir? No. And, and I would say the same thing about you. Now, how does it feel going undercover in, in, into like a, a Mexican restaurant and, and overhearing people talking in, in, in Spanish, maybe about you? Has that ever occurred to you, sir? Oh, it's 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 always it's it's happened. I don't know much Spanish, but I know enough. We're talking about being victims I know, here. I know Russian. Oh wow! <laughs> wow! Now, 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 Doctor John, yes. uh, you're using a pen name writing this book. Victor Norgard, yes, because I'm Norgard. I'm actually part and in, in part of my mix, I'm also. Uh, half Icelandic, so the Icelandic saga—they were the storyteller. They were the storytellers of the North. It's almost as if that meteorite or asteroid hit the Earth and just blew up all over the place, and it all landed, and that's you. That's me, right? And um, but uh, like I, um, I, I've had an interesting life. Uh, somebody asked me who the two women on the cover of this novel is, which is the sequel. So Brian wants and, to know right here. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're they're my ex-wives, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I I have uh, <laughs> all right. I, you I, done I, you done well for yourself, sir. Uh, so um, anyway, I've uh, I've I've learned a lot about different cultures. And how did you get into science fiction writing or, or I, being a I physicist? Was inspired by science fiction, that's why I became a physicist. I used to read you know like Dune and Doc Smith's Galactic Patrol and. All that great stuff. And you're going all out as a salesman. You've dressed up. You've, you've thrown yourself well, into it. This is fun. Have a gimmick in order to in order to get this booth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, the people who organize this thing. So I thought, well, why not? I always wanted to dress up like an astronaut. I used to have lunch with astronauts. Christmas astronaut, a Christmas astronaut, right? Well, I thought the flashy hey, wait, light. You also have a cape. Wait a well, minute. Well, hey, here. that's because my minute. oxygen tanks wouldn't fit. Wait a minute. He's, He's got, got a cape. It would get a little drafty if I didn't have this cape. All right. All right. <laughs> but anyway, if you want um, lots of action, including between the sheets, uh, beautiful women, swashbuckling astronauts, Woo! secret agents, black ops, uh, nuclear weapons, <laughs> I, I, cra crazy terrorists, campus radicals. Go? Where can we go to get your book? Oh, you can buy it right here for $25, but uh, you can go to Amazon.com. Amazon.com, guys. That is the book but, right uh, here. Actually, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, people, several guys have read it and they really liked it. And then uh, this, this one was also uh, a minor hit uh, where the, um, this is, these two women are in the, uh, asteroid novel who's that hot chick right there that, that uh oh she's a this same character the blonde here and she's a newscaster a kind of dingy newscaster but she's actually part of a classified program and it's so classified she doesn't even know it exists and she, she gets sucked into the uh asteroid program because she gets interested in the asteroid and that puts her on a list uh, in the secret government uh, files of people that they have to keep under surveillance. This book may have put you on certain lists, don't you think, as well? well I've already been told I'm on certain lists. So, absolutely. Collapse of the UFO cover-up, cover right here. Right here. Sepulveda, the whole damn thing falls apart. You remember Close Encounters of the Third yes, Kind? Yes. Imagine that really happened. Do you, do you believe this crap about a man ever having actually landed on the moon? 
Oh, I've been to the moon myself, so I've looked at the sites. They're there. Okay. Okay. So, so that was not well, just actually, fabricated. You know, you know, when people ask me about that, I say, do you really believe there's a moon? How do you know that isn't some kind of... He just bent your mind, Geekscapist. He just bent your mind. Now, real quick, let, let's talk real quick about your buddy over here. Oh, absolutely. Because... Well, we, we, we don't want to leave you out of this. Talk, talk. You're sharing, you're sharing uh, your, your booth Invampire. with your buddy, Don. You're, you're sharing your booth. Don over here. Don, how are you doing over here? I'm doing fine. We're all over here in the booth. Don is a... Uh, <laughs> I can recommend this book if you want to get insomnia. Well, what's making me crazy, Don, and maybe you can explain, Don. Um, you say book, but it's in a DVD case. Well, it is a DVD. Uh, it came out initially as a an ebook. Okay. Uh, but okay. This, but the publisher, Dark Realm Press, up in the Bay, uh, also has this available as a uh, hard copy book, but which I don't have any. But people can any. download this as well when they pay for it, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and what's it called? It's called it's called Past Sins. Past it's a novel of supernatural horror. See, I'm a medically retired criminal investigator. I was a detective. And in 1980, is that how you ran into John over here, <laughs> investigating him? No. Uh, well, actually, John and I met in Pensacola in 1990. Well, I was shit goes deep. I was the director of research for UFO magazine, my uh, publication begun by my wife. But in 1981, I investigated as a criminal investigator two cattle mutilations that were both exsanguinated. In other words, they were drained of blood. That was chupacabra. chupacabra. Well, that's not what they were calling it then. What were they calling it then? Crazy hillbilly guys? Uh, they were calling it uh, cattle mutilations. Uh -huh. Now, when I became involved with UFO magazine for years, I was an investigator of that, and I found out really a lot about it. But that's what originally interested me in what? doing something on the vampire genre. But, but is the case still open? What happened to the cows? Well, the cows were dead, but no, it's never been solved. But this is not. Did you get something... fired? No, no. This is, this is not something new. I mean, this has happened all over the United States. Cattle mutilations and, and other animal mutilations. And it may be a UFO well, involvement? There, what there, do you think? There's been a very slight connection to the UFO phenomena. Uh, where these animals have been found dead, uh, there have been a lot of sightings of anomalous aerial phenomenon. So, yeah, there is a, there is a connection, a slight connection. And this is a fiction book that you've, you've written about in that world. Well, this is actually about a covert military intelligence operation that went bad. Uh, in 1965, in the book, the Central Intelligence Agency got their hands on a genuine, bona fide, supernatural vampire. The idea was an attempt to weaponize it and use it against the Russians. That was the original plot. Now, at the beginning of this century, the 21st century, one of these things got away, and things suddenly go to hell in a handbasket very quickly. Down, yeah. yeah. So that's, that sounds like a pretty high-concept book. Now, where can people find Past Sins? Amazon.com, uh, Past Sins by Don Ecker, and also Dark Realm Press. Okay. Uh, which is up in the uh, the Bay Area. It's all over the net. If you guys are watching this on a computer, I don't see why you wouldn't download this on your computer and watch it right there. You you, you can re you can read it right here. Just a couple clicks. You guys can purchase this book. You guys can purchase Asteroid 2012, 20, 2012 Sepulveda. 
they've both got ebook versions. So you guys, you guys are all digitally minded for your entertainment. Why don't you guys pick up these books right here? All right. Thank you so much for being with us, Thank guys. You. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Doctor John. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Look at this. Look here. At this. here. I got, I've been got recruited. Got You've been recruited. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> Wait, did you tuck your cape into your suit? Yeah, that's right. Look at this. Look at this. Tank. Look at this. It's supposed to be my oxygen tank, but uh, yeah, I can give, all right. I can give him one. Oh, whoa, whoa. All right. <laughs> hey, look at this, guys. <laughs> there. It's a all right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> you guys are great. Ah, welcome to Geekscape, everybody. We are here with uh, probably the single most talented human being ever, ever, Brian Lee O'Malley. Brian? Hello. Okay. Uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, as you uh, all, no doubt all know, uh, created Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and Geekscape is your source for movie, comics, and video games. Uh, and Scott Pilgrim is going to be all three, uh, as we've, uh, we've, we've, we've just heard. Uh, tell me about the Scott Pilgrim video game. It's just been announced. Reveal everything. It's, uh, it's a video game. <laughs> Well, the one thing I want to know about, because we all, we all, because the best thing, one of the great things about Scott Pilgrim is that it actually uses video games as a source for storytelling, for structure. A lot of the books are based on kind of a boss fight mentality, so we're kind of wondering what, what kind of video game we can accept from that. Is it like a final fight beat em up? Or uh, Mega Man, each boyfriend's going to be its own boss and you beat him in a different order, it's going to actually matter? Do you have any preference on that, or can you not say a damn thing? Uh, I'm probably not supposed to say anything really. Um, okay. I mean, it's, it's pretty early. Like, I yeah. know these things don't take that long, or some of, the, like, some of them don't. I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. this one won't. Do you, do you have any preference if it's going to be like based on your drawing style, or just want it to be like Street Fighter, the movie, the video game, where it's just uh, Michael Sarah uh, just beating up dudes? Uh, yeah, no, that was that was the one thing we always said we very much didn't want. Um, so it's gonna. I think it's gonna be more cartoony, more like the books. Well, we're all very excited about that. Uh, where are you right now in regards to the sixth eagerly anticipated book? Uh, I just finished writing it. I'm just starting drawing it. So, uh, you know, I'll play them on track to get it out next uh, June or so. Is the plan to have it out in time before the movie gets released? That's the plan. That's the intention. Um, we, we still don't have a release date for the movie, so uh, it's hard to know. But, yes, we'd like to. Uh, and another thing, this is interesting, because I can't remember a single franchise since maybe Star Wars in which people were excited to learn the name of the next upcoming installment. Do, do you, can you announce the name? And if not, can you at least tell us whether or not you have the name? Uh, I have a name, but I no, I'm not going to announce it. I'm not, I don't even want to tell anyone anything about it until, until the date comes out. Could, if we guessed it, could you, uh, could, you, could you maybe sort of nod? Scott Pilgrim Reloaded? Scott Pilgrim in the Undiscovered Country? Okay. I was kind of hoping. Um, well, anyway, I just want to say, uh, I want to thank you for Scott Pilgrim. And I think a lot of people have, like, a really close uh, affection for Scott Pilgrim because even though it is kind of fanciful, even though it is obviously kind of broad, um, it, I think it really connects to a lot of people in our age group and, and younger. I remember when Volume 3 came out, I was undergoing a very bad breakup. And uh, there's Knives Chow's... Uh, dialogue with Scott about how she's so glad at least she can feel something uh, actually got me through a really tough time and I wanted to thank you for that personally do you do you, uh, do, do you, do you get uh, any like people out there just like you know crying thanking you any, anything really personal like stories uh, you don't want to hear like that one no not really not really? too much uh, you know I've heard I've heard like kind of vague allusions to stuff like what you just said um, yeah. but no one is uh, no one has ever come that close to me 
Aww. I don't know if that's good or bad. I've, I just laid my soul. I, I, I've laid my soul there and only. Excuse me, I have something in my eye. Ah. Well, uh, well, uh, Brian, Brian, let me ask you uh, uh, one more question before we, before we go, before I completely run out of things to say I'm so in awe of simply your presence. Uh, is there any question that no one has asked you that you're kind of surprised about? That I'm surprised that no one's asked me? Yeah, like, it's like you kind of felt like, oh, I figured everyone would give me crap for this or everyone would ask me about this and no one's really tapped into it. No. Let me ask you one then. Let me ask you one. I wonder. I wonder if you got in this. In volume one, Scott and Ramona's first date. Scott talks about uh, his last job and how we're going to get to that in the next volume. And then Ramona says, "I don't even want to talk about my last job." And you say, "Maybe volume three. We're on. We're on volume five. Uh, are we ever going to know about that? Uh, maybe not. Really? Uh, it kind of fell out of volume three, and then I was like, maybe I should do it in volume four. Maybe I should do it in volume five. But um, it kind of became less important to me. I don't know. And th there's an allusion to it in Volume yeah. 5, though. Okay. The twins make an allusion to it. Oh, right. oh that was it. Uh, that's, sort that's, that's sort of, of it. We we're going we're gonna, to gonna comb through that issue, and we're going we're yeah. to try to get everything we can out of it. So we're going to go back through uh, Volume 5. I'm going to thank you once again for a fantastic book series. Thank you very much. Back to you, Jonathan.